what is the greatest hindrance in your chase? We've been talking about chase for a month and a half now. Uh, the greatest hindrance in your chase could be different things for different people. Sometimes I think it's a supply and demand thing. I know that's an economy concept, uh, business concept for so many of y'all. You live in every day. But if I can hang out there for just a little bit longer, the supply and demand is that the world is demanding more and more and more of you, and you can only supply so much. You only have so much time, so much thought, so much emotion, so much energy. You only have so much. It's a supply chain issue. And you know that language. And you live in that world. And it's this constant push and pull and tug and and fight to see who is going to get the most of me. And if that at work was not enough, or at school and the papers and demands were not enough, then wait till you get home and all the tasks that didn't get done last week are still waiting. The laundry to be folded, the dishes to be cleaned, the food to be made, the meals to be prepared for the, the weekend. It's constant. You know what I'm talking about. It's a mad, mad, mad world. In the push and the pull and the strain that we go through and the voice that we constantly hear, give more, spin more, take more, consume more, and do it at a faster pace, it is exhausting. Would you agree? A statement I want to make, and I want you to really think about this. Really, really chew on this for a moment. Maybe the most important statement I will make the entire message today. Here it is. Your opportunities and obligations may be the greatest obstacles, our obstacle, to your being in the chase. Your opportunities... Those, those, those opportunities to enroll in, those opportunities to sign up for, those opportunities for advancement in, those, those opportunities to move across the country, those opportunities that are out there. Then you say yes to the opportunities and the opportunity becomes an obligation. And in that obligation, because it was so sweet and it looked so good on the front end, now it becomes a commitment that you have to fulfill. And all of this becomes obstacles. What's an obstacle thing? The thing that was once an opportunity, the thing that was once an obligation, and now is this obstacle for me and hindrance to me to getting in and being a part of the chase. And the chase, as we've been talking about for week on end now, is the life that God intended you to live. The life that not that you're desiring to live, the life that not I'm desiring for you to live, is actually the life that the maker, the creator of the universe has actually blueprinted for your life. And to think about that, and to live that, but yet the opportunities and the obstacles keep come knocking and keep building up a wall that you can't seem to get over and get past and get through. 
And then Jesus has these little statements that he mentions once, twice, 20 different times in the Scriptures where he says in the Gospels, follow me. And what this series has been all about is about breaking down Sometimes one by one, sometimes two by three. So, I mean, what different different numbers each week that we're just trying to dive into the concept, into the invitation of the Lord, the King of the universe, who says, "I'm inviting you to follow me. I'm inviting you into a relationship. I'm inviting you into a movement. I'm inviting you into a pursuit of me." And what does that look like? And we've talked about it, and I've given the example a couple of times. If you don't mind, I'm going to do it one more time. Remember sometimes that in that invitation to follow Him is also a self-selection mode where we can go, mm, no, not today. Not me right now. Why? Think about the rich young ruler. I gave the example last week, all the weeks before. Whenever the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and literally, I think with all of his heart, really does want to follow Jesus. And invites him into following Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, no, no, no problem. You can follow me. Hey, but you got to first get rid of the opportunities and the obligations that have come between us. And then you can follow me. And at that point, he self-selects himself out of following Jesus. Because the opportunities and the obligations were far more attractive than following Jesus. There's another, other times when this happens. It's not the only time it happens. There's another time whenever a man comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, I want to follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go. In Luke 9... He says, I'll go wherever you go, Jesus. I'm in. I am all in. And then Jesus says this. He says, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. Hey, but by the way, if you go with me, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Okay. Uh, the thing is, is we don't have a clue what he did, does. He just kind of goes off the scene. He's off the radar. Did he self-select himself out? I don't know, because Jesus goes right into another invitation to follow him. And another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go. Maybe he overheard the conversation about it. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He's not a big kingdom. He's not going to have a big palace. He says, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury the dead. Now, was Jesus this big, insensitive God? No, he was saying, Anything that stands between you and me and your pursuit of me, I don't care what it is, needs to be moved. It needs to be taken off the table. To follow Jesus is not a convenience. It's not going to always be easy. It's not, listen to this very carefully, it's not always going to be safe. He may literally call us to follow Him into some dark places in this world that aren't safe. God would never call me to an answer. No, no, no. You reread the Bible. You reread the stories through history of people who followed Jesus. This is what Alan and Deborah Hirsch said in their, their book on discipleship, Untamed. It says it like this. Discipleship clearly demands that we integrate an element of constant change. I would add to that, constant unknown. And a substantial amount of risk into our lives. Following Jesus is never 
safe when it comes to our tamed middle class sensibility. It's not always going to make sense to follow Jesus. Now, up until this point, we've been looking at the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've been looking at, a lot of times, different men who have been following Jesus. Well, today, I want to show you, it's not just a boys club, okay? It's not just the, the, the YMCA of the first century here, all right? This is actually a, a, there's actually a number of women who are followers of Christ. So just take your Bibles and be finding the, the Gospel of Luke. We'll be there in a moment. But just to kind of give you the backdrop on this, women are play a very big part of the narrative of Jesus. And probably more so, he promoted more equality among men and women than than any than than it was culturally accepted. I'll just leave it at that. It was more cultural, it was less culturally accepted. Jesus embraced the diversity of men and women. Fifteen different women are mentioned in the scriptures, okay? But sometimes we don't know much about them. We know the woman at the well in Samaria. We know the widow woman in the temple. We sometimes just know little facts about them. But then there are times that we do know more details about them. And we know that of those 15 women that are named in the scriptures by name uh, are in the gospels, eight of the 15, eight of the 15, over half, were disciples of Jesus. Now, the interesting little thing here is of those disciples of Jesus, eight of them, four of them bore the name Mary. So I'm just saying this, that on the years that those Marys were born, the number one baby name given to women must have been Mary. All right? And right now, if you give a, if you're, ever, if you're expecting a child and it's a girl, the number one baby name of 2016 was Sophia, okay? So there's going to be a bunch of Sophias running around here before long. And Emma's right now in the running this year, just in case you were wanting to know and going to go have another baby. Uh, but Mary was the name given out in the first century to all the little baby girls, evidently, because there's Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, Mary the James, uh, J- mother of James and John, Mary the wife of, uh, of Clopas. And so you have all of these different names and these different Marys. So whenever you're telling a story of Mary, and that's not even Mary the mother of Jesus, okay, I didn't even mention her, but you've got to make sure you're talking about the right Mary, okay? So we're going to talk about two of the most famous women that were disciples of Jesus. And it's Mary and Martha, and they were sisters. They were siblings. They had a brother named Lazarus. And I know you know the story of Lazarus. You can read about Lazarus in the miracle in his own life in John 11. The only time, we don't know very much about Mary and Martha, but we do know this, that we've got a little bit in John 11, we've got a little bit in John 12, and a little bit in, in, in Luke 10. And that's about it, Okay and all the details of really diving into them. There's very little written on them, but what we do know about them is pretty impressive. So I want you to take your Bibles and look at Luke 10, okay? Or Luke, uh, yeah, Luke 10 is one of those passages that we have quite a bit of information on. Now, this may be a familiar passage of Scripture for some of us, but what we're going to see in this story is a older sister, Martha, and a younger sister, Mary, and we're going to see what we feel every day of our life. It's a push and a pull for more and more of you when you only have so much to give. We're going to see the tension between 
We're going to see the imbalance between. We're going to see the push and the pull. We're going to see the tension of life and faith and uh, of purpose and priority, of opportunities and obligation. We're going to feel that in this passage. And you may feel that in your own life. Because as you ask that question, am I going to be a pursuer of Christ, a chaser of Christ, that you're going to feel pulled by the world back into its vortex? Or are you going to not yield to that and arrest your life and to put it Christ front and center in your life? Let's just read the passage. I think it will self-explain itself, and you'll see the tension between the two. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now, this village is not mentioned here or identified here, but we know it's Bethany from other passages of Scripture. So he enters Bethany. By the way, where's Bethany? Bethany is a suburb of Jerusalem. You got Jerusalem, you got the Temple Mount, you got the Kidron Valley, you got the Mount of Olives. Just beyond the Mount of Olives is you have this little community, bedroom community in Jerusalem. It's the town of Bethany. That's where Jesus went quite a bit, had some friends there, and this is one of those accounts. And a woman named Martha, person number one, older sister, welcomed him into her house. It's the right thing to do, right? She's very hospitable, welcomes God into her house. Pretty big deal, okay? And he said to, and she had a sister called Mary, okay, who sat, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. Listen to that. Who, when Jesus comes over, she sits at his feet, she listens to his teachings leans in to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. There's so many things to do when God's coming to your house, okay? It's kind of a big deal. And she went to him. She didn't go to Mary. Notice that. Creates a little drama triangle and counseling circles is what they call that. Goes to him and not to Mary and said, Lord, do you not care? Why does that question come out of the blue? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 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 Martha. You're anxious. And you're worried. And you're troubled. And you're upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I want you to dive into this today and feel the tension and to feel the pull that you're feeling right now as you sit there because you're thinking, I got a lot to do this week. I have so much pulling at me. I have my phone is probably even beeping now. I haven't checked my email yet. And you got all this stuff that's downloading into your soul and you're thinking about it right now. And I'm saying arrest those thoughts and ask yourself questions because here's what I cannot do is I cannot answer for you what only you and God can answer together. And that is this. Am I living in pursuit of God or am I living reacting to this world? 
Am I living intentionally pursuing God or am I living pushed and pulled and controlled by the demands of this world? And maybe some of you are going to say, I can answer that one in a heartbeat. I don't make my schedule. I don't tell the kids when to get up or when to go down. I have to live in response to everything else in life. Here's three questions you need to ask yourself. And you need to just let the winds of the Spirit blow across these three questions. And you need to dive deep in, 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 in answering these and answer them well. Number one question is, will I live distracted or focused? Will I live distracted or focused? Now, I know in this world of gadgets and gadgets and things and reminders and, and relationships and social media and all this kind of stuff that's out there begging for our attention constantly, that we're able to multitask. Does anybody here really good at multitasking? Or anything, do you multitask? Raise your hand. The rest of you are lying. You're watching television. And you, you come to our house, we have computers on our lap. We're watching television and we're talking and we're carrying on these conversations. You know, we have problems in our culture with texting and driving because we can't do one thing at once. We're constantly pulled in this multitasking society. The thing is, is neuro, neurologists have told us that it is impossible for the brain to do multiple tasks. You will divide. And you will do half things okay. There's actually a phrase for this. I read it a few years ago in Business Weekly, and it says this, that we are constantly partial attention. You're either multitasking, or we have this, excuse me, this continuous partial attention. Continuous partial attention. To where we're constantly divided into ten, maybe a third, maybe a quarter here, maybe half here. And then we have all these things that are going on and pulling at us constantly where we're never giving ourselves fully to anything. And ladies, I'm not picking on you, but you are really good multitaskers. You've got kids, and you've got tasks, and you've got appointments, and you've got uh, uh, things to get the kids. Guys, we're just kind of, huh? You know, we can do one. I can't even go to the store and get three things, okay? I can't remember the, the, the two of the three. So we, we struggle with the basics of life. Now, picking on the ladies, I've talked about Peter and his sinking. Here we have a conflict of women here going on attention. Mary was focused. Martha was distracted. You can see it right there in the passage. Verse 38 and following. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into the house and she had a sister named Mary, and what did Mary do? She sat at the Lord's feet. She was physically there, but notice this. She was also emotionally, spiritually present. She listened to His teachings. She wasn't physically there, but mentally somewhere else. She was there, and she was there. In every sense of the word, fully present, listening to Jesus. That's Mary. Let's look at let's look at Martha. Martha, what does it say about her? Verse 40. And Martha was, what's the word there? Distra say it, say it. Distracted. Interesting word. 
you break it down in the Greek form, it's actually an imperfect passive verb. I'd never noticed that before in my, all of my studies of knowing this story, but it's so interesting. When I heard that, I thought, yes, that makes sense. She was distracted. An imperfect passive. The idea is that Martha herself didn't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, God, I really don't have time for you. Thank you so much, God of the universe. I don't have time for you. Didn't make that cognitive decision to turn, tune God out. But actually what happened is when she woke up, she got up late because she kept hitting snooze and and, and she has so many things going on or he has so many things going on in their life. And oh, by the way, they got to get onto social media first thing in the morning to catch some more emojis and cat photos and, or something like that. And so they've, they, they've got to catch up there. And then they've got to check email because after all, while they were sleeping, everyone else in the world has been working. And so they've got to make sure they know what they're going into work with. And all of a sudden, I mentioned that they got up late and they have all this pulling at them. And you know what happened? The kids didn't bounce out of bed and say, Mother dearest, we're here to serve you. How may we fix our own breakfast or anything such as that? They had to beat them out of bed, literally sometimes beat them out of bed, uh, or, or whatever. They had to pull the covers off, throw water on them or whatever, just to get things going. They're already late because of, of the appointments. They don't have time to meet with God. Did they choose that? No. They were distracted. It just happened to them. Just the demands of life. And it happens all day long and they drive and they go to their, their, their 70 hour a week job and they, they drive their upside down car and they, they, they pull into their castle that they're leveraged out the hill and then they're going to have to do it again tomorrow because they can't miss one paycheck. They're distracted. It happened to them. They woke up one day and they just didn't have time for God. Are you going to live Focused or distracted? And listen, if you're not careful, this world will decide for you. Romans 12, 2, in the message says it like this. Don't become well-adjusted to the culture that you fit into it with even thinking. That you fit into it with even, without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Focus your life on the Lord. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's what we're all wanting, a better life, a fuller life, a more complete life, a life of meaning and purpose and so forth. Readily recognize that He wants what He wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down into its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed uh, maturity in you. That's the life of a disciple. A person who's living a very focused life, not distracted by everything else that's calling and begging for them. Say, Micah, I want that. I want that so badly. I want to be a disciple who makes disciples. I want to be that disciple that you've been talking about. I want to be in the chase. I want to pursue God and the life that He intended for me to live. I want that, Mike, but I don't know how to get there. This entire series has been leading up to the next two minutes. Entire series has been leading up to the next two minutes. If you walked in today and you've got one of these 8.5 by 11 sheets of paper, pull it out right now. 
Here's what I can't do. I can't make you a disciple. I can't make you become a fully obedient multiplier following Jesus, which is what we see as a disciple of Christ. I can't do that. But what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to guide you. We're going to try to give you the instruments. We're going to try to give you the navigational tools that you and God, you and your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will speak and He will make clear to you what it is that He's calling you to. You can grab one of these on your way in. You can grab one now. They're at the front door. We're in a few moments. I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to give the time back to you, and I want you to just do number one. Just what are you becoming? See, you can't go to where you want to go until you know where you're at. So start where you're at. What's the baseline of your life? It's it's simple. It's a piece of paper, right? But I'm going to encourage you to take time today. Go home, divide and conquer on the kids. You got the kids, I'm going with God. You got the, I, I, got, I got the kids, now you're going with God. And you're going to get with God and you're going to listen to Him. This is going to take an hour of your life. But if you're going to live with an intentional discipleship plan, then this is what it's going to take. Is you meeting with God. We're going to say, hey, put start today and then go out three months, which ironically is Christmas Eve. And so let's just spend the next three months focusing on what God is calling you to do. Why? Why am I saying all this? Is it to give you busy work? No. So that you will live a focused life. Not distracted. Number two question, which you ask yourself. Will I be intentional or will I live accidental? Will you be intentional or accidental with your life? God forbid that you would be accidental. If you notice here, again, the world is going to not like you changing the rhythms. Mary would have been okay, and Martha would have been okay if Mary had gone to the kitchen, but Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to him. And that disrupted the disequilibrium, that created some disequilibrium in the heart and the soul and the mind of, uh, uh, of Martha. And so she now, and I pointed this out earlier because I don't have time to really develop it, she doesn't talk to Mary about the issue. She talks to Jesus about Mary. There's a problem with that. It's called passive-aggressive. You have a problem with somebody, you go to that person and you work it out, but she doesn't do that. We know she doesn't do that. And what does she do? She now starts talking to Jesus in this kind of insulting, manipulative kind of way. And here's what will happen. When you live accidentally, you will listen to all the voices of the world out there, and the voices of the world will shape your life. When you live intentional, you will learn to listen to one voice, and you will distinguish that voice from all other voices. So what voice are you listening to today? When you look at verse 40, it says it like this. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and she said, Lord, do you not care? So here's what I want you to, I want you to just think about. Which voice am I listening to? Which voice 
in my life am I listening to? Now, there's lots of them out there, but I'm going to give you three of them. There is the internal turmoil voice. This is the emotional manipulation voice. This could be recordings of the past. This could be recordings of the present. But it plays on your emotions. And it's exactly what Martha did with Jesus when she said to Jesus, Do you not care? Do you not care? Because if you cared, you'd make sure Mary was in the kitchen with me. You'd get her away from your feet and you'd get her at my, you'd get her serving me. Emotional manipulation is huge in this world, okay? It's a lot of times the recordings of the past of our life, the recordings of the voices that we hear again and again in life. That's one of them, but here's an external pressure voice. Whenever finally, what what does Martha say to Jesus? Tell her. It's an imperative command. Tell her to help me. Tell her to rearrange her life. Tell her to rearrange her priorities. Tell her to do this. Jesus, you have the authority. She'll listen to you. She won't listen to me. A lot of people will listen to this internal voice or they'll listen to this external pressure. And here's what I want to say. You need to learn to live intentionally to an intentional voice of God where you make a commitment to live the life that He called you and made you to live. Notice what Jesus said back to her. Verse 42. But the one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen. I love that statement. I didn't choose for Mary, Jesus didn't say. Mary chose for Mary. Mary said, I'm going to intentionally sit at the feet of Jesus. I don't care if there's, we feed him peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I don't care. Not in, not in an insulting kind of way. I'm sorry, sister, that I'm disappointing you and I'm not living up to your expectations here. But hey, I'm going to choose to sit at the feet of Jesus. Period. That's living intentionally, not accidentally. One more question. Will I love? Will I love? Will I love conveniently or passionately? When I'm following Jesus, there needs to be a laser-like focus. When I'm following Jesus... There needs to be an intentionality. I will choose Him. But then there needs to be this commitment to deep love of Him. A passionate love for Him. Now, I don't have time to develop this fully. and it's, We're in, in, in the Gospel of Luke. And there's so much to say about being a disciple of Christ. And about, In fact, I want you to say it with me. This is our definition. I want you to say it. I want you to be, just sink it into your soul. Okay, A disciple is becoming a fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. I hope you start at the end of that and you understand I am following the God of the universe as I follow, as I fall in love with, as I, as I deepen my love. I can't keep it to myself. I've got to m- multiply myself. I've got to get this out to the nations. I've got to get this out to my neighbors. I've got to get this out to northwest Arkansas. And I've got to make sure my life is in order. Fully obedient. 
So you know what? We're kind of this laissez-faire, convenient relationship with Jesus kind of living. Richard Foster said it like this, Today, the heart of God is an opened wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to Him. He grieves that we have forgotten Him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. Jesus Christ wants to be in a relationship with you. Do you passionately want to be in a relationship with Him? Mary would forsake it all. But you know, Mary had a story. She had a story, okay? you got to know this about Mary Bethany. There's lots of Marys. I've been pointing that out in the beginning. But this is Mary of Bethany. And she had a story. You can read John, John 11, 1 and 2, and you can see how this story ties back. This is the same Mary in Luke 10 as it was in Luke 7. And see, her story doesn't begin in Luke 10. It actually begins in Luke 7. Whenever this woman, Mary, and she's not named in the passage, so take your Bibles, look back a couple pages to chapter 7. And in verse 37 of chapter 7, it says, And behold, a woman of the city. Now, we don't know that from that passage. You have to look at Mark 14.3 when it's a parallel passage. You have to look at John 11 that I just pointed out. And you can see that this is the same Mary. Mary of Bethany, this is the same Mary. This is in Bethany. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, the Bible doesn't have to give us all the dirty details. But we know that this woman had a problem with sexual sins. I'll just leave it at that. She comes to Jesus, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, it brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet and weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, is this convenient or is this passion? This is passion. And kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him to saw this, he said to, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. But I can tell you this. We know the rest of the story because we just read it. This woman, Mary of Bethany, yeah, she had a she had a rap sheet. But we learned from Matthew's rap sheet. We learned from Mary of Bethany's rap sheet that the most broken people, God can do the most beautiful work. He can take our messed up, jacked up, self-centered lives and He can make them whole and beautiful again. And there's this passionate thing that happens when you've experienced God's grace down deep in your soul that there should bubble up inside of you a spring of a passionate love relationship 
where you're not just conveniently loving Jesus, but you are passionately giving yourself fully to Him. Do you have that kind of relationship? Um, I want to close with a story of a man who was dying of cancer. Before I give you this time back, this man was dying of cancer and he'd struggled with prayer all of his life and his daughter had called the pastor at the church and there's a new associate pastor. Would you send the associate pastor over to pray with my dad? He just needs somebody to stop in and pray with him. So she did. And so he did. The pastor shows up. He was a new pastor in town, had never met the man before. He walks into the bedroom where he was at and he says, he sees this empty chair over there and he says, oh, you're expecting me and that, that's, that's my chair. And so he started hanging for the chair. He said, oh no, you can sit there, but it's not your chair, but you can sit there. I didn't know you were coming and glad you're here. He was a very cordial man, very man of faith because he talks about his own prayer life and his own desire to, to be in an intimate, passionate relationship with God. But he said he struggled with his prayer life for a lot of years. He said, that chair's a special chair. That's my God chair. And the, the pastor knew that that meant something pretty significantly. So he sat gingerly and and reverently in the chair, and he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, shut the door. So he went over and he shut the, the bedroom door, and he came back and he sat in the God chair, and he said, I don't want my daughter to hear this because I don't want her to think I'm going crazy, but I've struggled with prayer a lot of years, and I've gone to pastors, and I've read books, and, and none of it's ever made sense to me, and I've just struggled with prayer and said, until one of my friends said, hey, just take a chair and just let God sit in that chair. And that'll be the God chair. And you just talk to that chair as if God is sitting there. And you just have this right. And so he said, since I'm sick, I'll spend hours and I'll just talk to God. We'll just talk. And I'll just talk. And I'll just read Scripture and He'll talk back to me. He said, the pastor prayed with him. He said, brother, Keep praying. Keep talking to your God chair. And two days later, the man dies, passes away. The daughter calls the pastor, says, tells him the news, what had happened. He said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I said, he seemed fairly well that the day when I was there. Did he, was, he, was he in pain? Did he, did he suffer? How did he go? He said, no, no, no. Everything seems as if everything was right. In fact, I was there in the morning. I had to go to the store in the afternoon. And when I came back, there he was. He had passed away. The funny thing is, the daughter says, the funny thing is, is that when he passed away, he was leaned over the chair and just embracing it. And he fell asleep and he never woke up. And I thought, when I read that story, I thought, that man had a passionate love relationship with Jesus. He couldn't get enough of just being with Him. You know, are you focused? Are you intentional? Are you passionate about your love relationship with Jesus? Because I tell you what, there's a lady named Mary that experienced Jesus in a way that I pray every single person in this room would. 
We're going to give you some time right now to just take question number one and just begin to work it through. Because you can't know where you're going till you know where you are, where you are right now. I want to pray for us as we get started. Father, You, in spite of all that I am and all that I'm not, You are incredible. That You would love a Mary, that You would love a Matthew, that You would love a Mike McDaniel. And that You would say there's one thing And it's the most important thing. And that's being with you. Father God, would you make our body of believers alive. Not alive because we're singing and dancing in our worship, but because we're alive in you. And it comes into our worship and it comes into our community. And it goes out into the community. Lord, that we have been with you We're focused on You, intentionally listening to You, loving You passionately. We'd never be the same. Speak to us now. You know, I cannot stress enough that you have got to own your own faith. You have got to become that self-feeding believer to where you are in the Word, learning, growing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowing it to transform your life. If you're just going to be spoon-fed on Sundays, it's not enough. All I can say is take today. Dive into the questions. Allow the Spirit of God to shape you. Already, our pastoral team's all doing this. Our deacons got this on Thursday. They've been asked to do it. We're all asking everyone to to get that intentional discipleship plan. Take a photo of it on both pages. Send it to your one another brother or sister. Have them pray for you. You pray for them as they give you theirs. And you pray for each other. Already, I've got things on here that kind of grew cold in my life that I'm reviving and and revisiting and I've got reminders and I'm sharing it with my accountability brother. And so you do the same. I hope that you will do this. Live that life of a disciple as you live sent today. We love you.